Welcome everybody to ENT in a Nutshell's podcast series. We are currently going through a series on global surgery. In this episode, we will be focusing on framework for global surgery within an institution. Today, we have Dr. Cordes and Dr. Jacobson here, and my name is Catherine, and I will be one of your hosts. I'm Katerina, and I'm the other host for today. So thank you both for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. All right, so I will go ahead and begin the introductions for our guests. So first, Dr. Susan Cordes is a comprehensive otolaryngologist who has a special interest in global surgery and humanitarian efforts. She has led surgical teams to Kenya annually since 2009. She's an honorary lecturer at Moy University School of Medicine in Eldoret, Kenya. Additionally, she has served as a chair of the AAO HNSF Humanitarian Efforts Committee. In 2018, she was awarded the Distinguished Award for Humanitarian Service. She has published research in the field of humanitarian otolaryngology, particularly related to thyroid surgery in limited resource settings. Dr. Cordes is passionate about mentoring students and residents who wish to engage in humanitarian efforts. Dr. Leah Jacobson is a board-certified pediatric otolaryngologist. Prior to her medical training, she completed a master's degree in global health. Dr. Jacobson is passionate about improving global surgical education and capacity building in global surgery. She has been involved with Mending Kids International, an organization that provides free surgical care for children and training for local medical staff for more than 10 years. In collaboration with Mending Kids, she has developed ongoing academic partnerships with ENT residency programs in Tanzania and Cambodia. So thank you both for joining us again. And so to start off, could you briefly describe how you participate in global surgery utilizing your institution? So this is Susan. I uh, participate through a program called AMPATH, which stands for the Academic Model for Providing Access to Healthcare. And it's a consortium of North American institutions that have committed to uh, assisting and developing training programs and medical care in Western Kenya based out of Moy University Teaching uh, and Referral Hospital and Moy University School of Medicine in Eldoret, Kenya. And when I began, there were several programs in place, uh, multiple disciplines like pediatrics, medicine, OBGYN, uh, and general surgery, amongst others. But there hadn't been any uh, otolaryngology partnership established. So when I went in 2009, um, I went on an exploratory trip to meet the otolaryngologists at Moy and establish relationships and build up the otolaryngology department there. Yeah, so I'm pretty new in my in my faculty career. I'm in my third year of practice as a pediatric otolaryngologist, and um, so I started my involvement with, I guess my my current partnerships, specifically in Tanzania at Bugondo Medical Center, uh, which is a one of the three teaching hospitals in Tanzania for uh, a number of subspecialties across medicine. And uh, I had worked with the organization Mending Kids, which is a humanitarian pediatric surgery nonprofit um, based in LA. And during residency, they had been at uh, Bugondo working with a general surgery practice and doing sort of ongoing educational missions there with uh, with general pediatric surgery. And so the ENT group in, at Bugondo had expressed interest in um, getting um, some, some additional support uh, internationally to, to try and build a residency program. And so I was in the middle of my residency program um, and had had been involved with Mending Kids uh, prior to 
to medical school as a mission coordinator during my graduate program in global health. And so kind of because of my ongoing relationship with this nonprofit, I had faculty who were interested at the time in, in getting involved with humanitarian and global surgery type type work. And so I reached out to see if we could develop a partnership. I, similar to Susan, I had gone out to do a um, like a needs assessment mission and basically just meet with the group in, in Tanzania and then um, slowly over the over the course of the last several years since 2015, um, I've gone a number of times now and, and kind of in shorter couple week long to, to month long trips have rotated in different faculty, had exchange programs with trainees there and observerships where, the, where people have been able to come here and sort of worked on supporting their their residency, mostly focused on pediatric ENT since that's my specialty, but we've also rotated in head and neck faculty and uh, laryngologists and um, worked to kind of support different aspects of otolaryngology training out there. Very interesting introductions. Thank you very much. So Susan, maybe would you mind telling us a bit about your experience explaining what the building blocks for engaging in meaningful global surgery work at the at your department or institution were? Yeah, so I, I really feel like I kind of stumbled my way through it in the beginning. I, I was fortunate to be within the context of Indiana University and AMPATH to see what other departments had done, but I had really no uh, model for an otolaryngology uh, partnership and uh, program. But um, I, I think the, the main building block is just interest and engagement of individuals in your department and at your institution. And it's there. I mean, it's it's amazing when you mentioned doing this kind of work, how many people are like, oh, they want to know more. Oh, I've always wanted to do that. So it's there. It's uh, it's a matter of somebody, and in this case, myself, taking initiative to take it to the next level and and start exploring a little more and take the leap to head over there and, and, and find out what's going on and what you can do. Um, and then coming back with uh, stories and uh, ideas and specifics about uh, what is going on and what can be done and, and what could be accomplished. Um, and I did that through you know word of mouth with my department, but also grand rounds. I would talk to pretty much anybody who would listen to me. I mean, like I went to conferences for surgery techs that were interested and I talked to the surgery department and gave nursing grand rounds and grand rounds in my department. And you know, casting a wide enough net uh, got together sort of a, a core group of people who were interested in going again. And it just sort of builds over time because it's uh, it's just kind of branches out from each person that goes and they come back and talk about it and have more ideas and more interests and more things that can be contributed. Um, I also think it's really important to uh, have a meaningful understanding of the host country, culture, institution, and the individuals at the host institution. Uh, you know, what are their needs? What are their wants? What are their limitations, their concerns? Um, and, and always keep that in the forefront of your mind uh, to not get too focused on, you know, what the, you know, the excitement of going to a, a different place and, and operating in a, in a different uh, country, but also, you know, always be thinking about it from the host country standpoint and, and how it will affect them, but how you can benefit them and build on each experience um, and, and also build on that uh, experience throughout the year, not just the, while you're there, but in between trips, it's, uh, you know, with communication and, and offering uh, different things like for them to come over to the U.S. and spend time in the department. 
Um, I did that through the uh, Academy's Visiting Scholar Program, International Visiting Scholar Program. That way, uh, the otolaryngologists from Kenya got to meet everyone in the department. So even people that didn't necessarily want to go to Kenya at any point still felt more involved and engaged because they got to meet personally someone who uh, their colleagues were working with in Kenya. Um, and I also think it's important to uh, always have in mind sustainability. So everything that you do, thinking about how this isn't going to just be a trip this year or next year, but this is how can we how can we build on this? How can we keep this uh, be a lasting thing, um, and and really affect the healthcare of the community long term? The what you do short term for each patient is extremely valuable for those individuals. But always thinking like of just improving the overall health of the community for the long term. Absolutely. It sounds like you were a main trailblazer in your institution. So those were some great building blocks and ideas. And Leah, do you have any other building blocks for engaging your institution? Yeah. So, um, I mean, I, I think Susan kind of touched on this, but I think longevity and personal relationships that get built over time are really critical to these kind of efforts. Um, you know, I think the idea of having sort of a long-term partnership uh, when I got hired, I think that was that was part of um, how I sort of got into academic medicine with a spin in global surgery um, because I had had a longstanding relationship with um, this hospital and with this group in in Tanzania. It's really critical to making successful and sustainable and progressive uh, effort to improve you know surgical education capacity um, to build the partnership, it's it's really um, important. I think too is the idea of having many many partners and many people involved, um, and really leveraging everyone's strengths and resources. Um, and I, I think the the really lovely thing about global surgery is you can get kind of in, innovative and creative and um, engage people in industry, in nonprofits, in academics, um, in the private sector. You know, there there is there is the potential, and I think there is really a lot of enthusiasm around this field, and um, people have a genuine interest in in getting involved. And so, um, I feel like one of my main jobs, and you know, perhaps strengths, is just playing a uh, playing a connecting connecting the dots kind of role in in terms of getting people involved. And um, I, I think. The other sort of critical piece, critical building block piece, is making sure that a lot of this is driven, you know, by the partner institution abroad. Um, almost all of the projects that I'm involved with uh, have been really highlighted by the director of the ENT program that I work at in it, at Bugondo, or or some of the residents who have specific interests. So that you know, we're really um, creating equity in terms of what kind of projects we're moving forward, uh, making sure that you know, people in Tanzania are really um, both engaged in getting credit for anything that's published. Um, I think I think these are important things to think about um, as I as I kind of progress in in this work. Um, one thing specific that is uh, great is we have a Center for Health Equity and Surgery and Anesthesia, which is sort of our umbrella organization for global surgery. Um, it was incepted around the time that I started. Uh, as faculty, which was quite fortunate, so there's some grant opportunities available through that um, through that organization or through that internal organization that um, I've been able to um, apply for some some funds around um, otology and audiology education partnerships that I have um, and specific projects that we're developing, and then they also have um, fellowships that are available for both international. Uh, 
trainees. And one thing we're working on developing is a is a domestic fellowship for somebody who who would be interested in spending a year in global surgery. But with our international partners, my residents in Tanzania have they all have to develop theses for part of their graduation. So um, we're looking at having them apply for these fellowships so that we can then use their data and and uh, really help them get it published um, and then utilize you know, some of that data to do public health projects in Tanzania. So it's an exciting collaboration and it's nice to not be, uh, to have, have a big support system and at my institution that, you know, can really support research and, uh, and education and other things. Yeah, definitely. I think the partnership aspect cannot be emphasized enough and the importance of that. Um, so you both mentioned kind of a little bit of the resources available um, at your institution or also industry relationships and partnerships with nonprofit organizations. Um, so could you expand on more on that about how does one kind of um, tap into those resources and find these opportunities and so forth? Yeah, I can talk a little bit about um, what we've done in, in Tanzania so I think in terms of industry, I, I haven't taken a huge role in that. My one of my uh, ENT partners here in the states has has um, you know has sort of relationships with reps, and um, I think because of the Mending Kids connection, we kind of uh, we we got a, a very nice donation from Storts to build up their laryngology and bronchoscopy equipment at Bugondo. And uh, they went directly to like the head of Storts. Uh, and this was before, this was pre-pandemic. So, you know, some of it was based on the fact that we had been going to this to this location and and um, provided those personal stories that Susan had mentioned. Um, I think with, with industry and Storts specifically, I think has some, um, has a humanitarian sort of interest to some degree. And so um, they were able to provide um, a very, a very generous uh, donation of laryngoscopy and bronchoscopy equipment, um, mostly mostly pediatric related. But and so and and then we focused our teaching really heavily on how to use that equipment safely, how to how to take care of it. You know, I've had brought scrub techs with me who have who have really focused on like the safety of the equipment itself and keeping it uh, well organized. And then we're you know doing like airway workshops every single time that I'm there. We're doing. A lot of airway, uh, or we're doing a lot of um, remote symposia as well in the interim between being uh, present in in country and and abroad. There's been a lot of Zoom uh, education opportunities in the interim. And sorry that I'm tangenting a little bit there, but you know, I think that's a big example, and it, it has been more challenging um, with getting industry support during the pandemic. Um, there's been a lot of um, just sort of unavailability of that resource sense, but sometimes just going to local reps is a good way to get um, smaller donations and things like disposables if you're working with like drills, mastoid drills or other things where there's, um, you know, burrs and other things that you you can kind of bring that that unfortunately wear out over time. Um, we've had good success with having local reps just provide uh, even a small amount of those things to bring, to bring abroad. In terms of um, nonprofit partnerships, you know, those, I, I, I'm familiar with Mending Kids because I've obviously worked with them for a long time. And then there's also Global ENT Outreach, which is a, a really awesome and, and kind of pioneering organization within our field, um, started by uh, Richard Wagner here in the States. Um, there's now a UK branch as well. And um, I do a lot of partnership with them on supporting um, both sort of remote education. Um, they're a wealth of knowledge for anything sort of ear surgery related in um, in the developing world, I, I over over time, I think GEO has been involved with ear surgery in South America, in uh, Southeast Asia, 
in Ethiopia and other places. And uh, so I've, I've often just um, reached out if I've had questions uh, related to, to how to go about doing something. We've put on um, like an international temporal bone lab uh, in Los Angeles when I was down there for, that was sort of geared towards doctors from um, low and middle income countries. It was, we were able to talk to um, my university at the time about offering a low cost temporal bone lab. And um, so again, I think it's that idea of just getting multiple parties involved and um, having the name of a nonprofit is often helpful, I think, in leveraging um, financial, you know, charitable donations by by individuals and by by um, by industry and, and and all that. But yeah, these are these are things that develop over time. I think. Yeah, I, I agree with uh, you know everything that Leah said and a lot of those resources. And I would say also uh, being at a, a large institution that has a Center for Global Health and the AMPATH program, they have a huge philanthropy department with people who like literally specialize in philanthropy. And you know we're physicians, we're busy, we don't have a lot of time to figure out how to raise funds or whatever. But that's what they do all the time, and so you can tap into those resources as well. I found them to be extremely helpful. They even set up a little ENT account for me, where you know if a, somebody wants to donate, um, or you know a, a, a company wants to even just donate cash. I've even had literally individual reps personally donate to our ENT account because they were uh, so interested in what we were doing. And so they set up an account for me to, um, to put those funds into, and that's been really helpful. Um, but they can help with ideas for fundraising um, to support your trips. And um, they uh, also have the 501c3 status so that you know you don't have to reinvent that wheel and, and set that up yourself. So being in a big institution has some of those uh, other uh, infrastructure type uh, things set up that that can be extremely helpful. So you've both mentioned a bit about other organizations, institutions, and nonprofit organizations that you've collaborated with. And we're wondering what has worked well when you've worked with these other partnerships with similar goals during your work and what you might do differently or you've learned from your experience in the future. Well, like I said, I think the um, working within the the greater context of AMPATH has been really important for me because even though it wasn't otolaryngology, the other programs that had already been working at Moy, I could see the things that they've accomplished and uh, sort of, you know, leapfrog a little bit and not make some of the mistakes that they made early on, um, learn from, from what they were doing. Uh, but also having, you know, again, infrastructure in place on the ground in Kenya was really helpful. I mean, we have a place to stay that, you know, provides room and board. And just, you know, like there's a general surgery attending on uh, there all the time that we can use as a resource for helping up set up educational conferences and that sort of thing. Um, I've also uh, worked with some residents from other institutions. I had some residents who on their uh, research time wanted to do research projects while we were in, in Kenya. And uh, that was that was great. That um, really kind of got me excited about you know reaching out to people in another institution, but working with residents from another place, but also just their enthusiasm for uh, doing research in a, a developing country because that is definitely not easy. Um, and, and that that was great. Um, it, it did open up my eyes. We say things you do differently. I probably would have educated myself a little bit more about what's all involved with 
doing research uh, in another country because rules are different uh, everywhere you go. And so we had a lot to learn about uh, uh, how to make that happen and do it in a, a safe and appropriate way in a, in a developing country. But overall, I think that, you know, mostly it's about communicating. Um, there are uh, other institutions that send otolaryngologists to the same uh uh, hospital that I go to in Kenya. And, you know, if we don't keep in touch with each other, we're going to just stumble over each other. And, um, you know, like I said, again, learning from, you know, what worked well for them or didn't work well for them. And, and same um, from our site has really helped a lot. You know, when uh, it's at University of Alberta wanted to go, I could let them know what equipment was already there so they could focus on uh, equipment that we didn't already have or needed to be replaced. Uh, those kind of things. I can let them know, you know, what things the institution can provide and what things you really need, like disposables that you need to bring uh, yourself and negotiating customs and, and all those sorts of things. So uh, staying in touch, I lots of phone calls, lots of emails uh, throughout the year to just be able to uh, work collaboratively and, and provide the uh, best experience for everybody involved. Yeah, I, I definitely uh, emphasize and uh, agree with what Susan is saying about um, uh, getting a good understanding of, of what all is involved. I think that was definitely something early on that I, I wasn't as aware of, at least in Tanzania, that there, there are other, you know, there, there are many other people who have come over the years and you can learn a lot, um, both, both good and bad from, um, you know, definitely I've learned a lot from my own, my own experiences and stumbles, but also, um, just trying to get in touch with everybody who, um, who has been involved in, and that, can be a little bit tricky. It can be a bit bit of a patchwork quilt, I think, of efforts that have happened over the years. In terms of sort of the the, the different relationships um, and and things that have worked really well. I mean, working with a group like Mending Kids, they take care of a lot of logistical pieces, and uh, you know, it, it's been nice to work with an organization that can can kind of look into things about customs and other you know the myriad of of challenges that uh, can can kind of present when. Um, trying to organize something internationally. And uh, then I, you know, I've, I've been able to focus a little more on the medical side of things and the educational side of things. Um, so, so that's been really nice. Um, but yeah, I, I think part of one of the biggest lessons learned is really just like, you have to be kind of patient and realize that there's going to be things that are going to be completely chaotic and go completely against what you would sort of hope and want for. And being able to roll with those those punches is really, um, I think, a key piece to this kind of work. Um, you learn to sort of not take yourself too seriously because uh, kind of absurd things and, and you know, unfortunately, sometimes really, really sad and disastrous things can happen um, in the world that we live in, especially in, in countries that, um, you know, may, may or may not be so stable. So I think having that lens is, um, is just something to kind of keep in mind in a, in a broad way. And kind of being ready to pick pick up the pieces if everything falls apart again and and really relying on all um, all the people involved is is something that I've really learned from this work it's it's gratifying but it's challenging so I think that's just something I'd say in general about it yeah that's great to hear and I think one thing that we are really interested in to hear from both of your perspectives is how does your institution balance your clinical duties at home with your passions abroad? Um, and how do you garner support from your colleagues and leadership for that? That's a great question. It's probably totally different for every institution. Um, but by and large, I think that conceptually, 
there's always going to be a lot of support for what you're doing. I mean, if you were saying, I got to go a month every year and lay on the beach in Bermuda just to collect my thoughts about ENT, <laughs> you know, nobody's going to get too excited about that. But when you talk about doing this kind of work, um, it, I haven't really run into people, you know, saying like, oh, you're going to be gone. How are we going to, how are we going to manage without you? That sort of thing. But I think it's just a matter of being respectful of the time that you're gone and uh, making sure that people don't feel like they're un, uh, unduly burdened with, uh, with the work that you're leaving behind. And, um, and I found that uh, most of the other faculty were very supportive and, and helpful with filling in. And it's just, you know, communicating and letting everyone know when you're going to be gone, how long you're going to be gone. And then again, letting people know what you're doing um, to show the importance of the work. And, uh, and earlier I talked about having support of everyone, including people that may not end up ever going. And that's, that's part of that is uh, just being really upfront about, about what you're doing and, um, and it really hasn't been an issue for me. I think that if you're going into a job, like, so I started this after I was already in my position, but if you're going into a job to set that expectation from the get-go that this is something that's very important to me and it needs to be built into either the contract or agreement or, or whatever, that, that this is a, something that you're going to do. And when, uh, when I went into private practice, that's what I did. And I ruled out a number of jobs that just, they just didn't, they were very corporate and didn't have a way to deal with somebody who was saying, I'm going to carve out some time and do this. And you have to figure out a way to cover for me and, you know, and, and just, uh, accommodate that in some places just couldn't. And that really helped me with my decision for which jobs to take because that was so important to me. Um, and it wasn't that places, you know, don't want you to do it or anything like that. It's just that some aren't just, like I said, aren't very well, uh, equipped to handle something like that because it's not so common. Um, but again, it's, you know, just communicating what you need to do and being upfront and honest about it. I found that most people are very supportive. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, this has been sort of my, my academic passion since since the beginning of residency and even in, into medical school. So I've I really like leaned into that. And I um, when I applied for jobs, I, I really both both my uh, I really only sort of was seriously considering jobs at my um, at my two home institutions where I had trained, mostly because they knew what I was up to and they they were sort of willing to work with me to um, create an academic position that uh, that could uh, support. Uh, you know, global health work and time time abroad. Um, I actually got hired at a part time clinical position initially um, because I had planned to spend a lot of time abroad in my in my first couple of years. However, that coincided with the pandemic and uh, and also just personal life life things going on. And so I didn't end up spending as much time abroad as um, as I thought. And I ended up I'm now in a uh, or about, sort of about to be in a full time position where my academic time is stacked. Um, so I, you know, because I've done these, these longer periods of broad at, at most, I've been gone, um, about three months at a time, but I'll, I'll be condensing that down, um, to about, uh, four to six weeks, a couple times a year. And I, I, everything Susan said about, uh, kind of choosing a practice that is really supportive of this. I think, it is true. A lot of people have a lot of enthusiasm about it, but finding a practice that can really, um, uh, sort of allow for this, even within academics, I think is, is something, um, that's, that's possible, but it just takes, um, really being clear about 
sort of what your aims are and and what your intentions are. I feel very fortunate to be in a big uh, a big pediatric practice where we share a lot of patients anyways, and so um, I I do 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 things like make sure that I'm covering my my like electronic inbox if I'm gone for for periods of time and um, other things to make sure I'm not sort of um, leaving my my colleagues hanging or, or creating extra work. I try to be conscientious of that. Um, moving my schedule around to to cover like uh, maternity leave and then being gone when when everybody is is on board or you know no other colleagues are off i've i've kind of played around with that as well in terms of um yeah just trying to be a team player and making sure that i'm not going to overburden my division when i'm gone um we also have a physician assistant so there's 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 just pieces in place in our structure that make it uh, i th- i think a little easier for me to do this kind of work and be gone for stretches of time um and yeah, I think I also looked into uh, locums when I first started. I didn't end up doing it, as well as practices that had some options to uh, to allow me to be there for certain parts of the year at like a halftime contract. So I think um, depending on how, I think this is more a comment geared towards trainees, but perhaps people in, in different areas in their career where they want to spend more time um, doing work that is not fully clinical. I think it's just a matter of getting kind of clear on the vision and then seeing if there's, um, if there's groups that will support you out there. And I think uh, there's a lot of skepticism about that, but I, I, I believe that we are in a place where there's some evolution with that. And it's just a matter of, of finding the right, the right group and the right group of people to work with. All right. Thank you both very much again for all of your wonderful words and your wisdom um, and sharing your experiences. This podcast series was created by Cynthia Choya and Josh Wiedemann. We'd like to thank our guests today, as well as the editing, writing, and production teams for making this episode possible. Look in the description of this episode for a link to additional resources, such as a written summary of the episode and citations for references that were made to key global surgery articles. Visit headmirror.com global surgery podcast for the full list of our episodes. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.